And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Race IndyCar podcast and for the first time in a little while, it's been too long, J.R. Hildebrand, very happy to welcome you back to the show alongside. How are you doing? Good man, glad to be back on. It's been a little while, like you said. Yeah man, you've had uh, you've had a, an anniversary and some home improvements and some general off-season stuff that we all have to do when we're not going to racetracks. That's right. Yeah, I've uh, I've had a little like breaks in in Wi-Fi, so haven't quite been able to uh, for various reasons. Haven't quite been able to join you, but um, glad that you've stayed busy. And uh, and I we've we've got we've just we've just missed your birthday this past week. So related, <laughs> happy birthday on the pod, the big three O. Thank you. If if anyone wants to email me happy birthday, you can email us podcasts at the race. Please send Jack <laughs> a voice note. <laughs> Marty, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about Marty in a minute, but before we do that, JR, in the gap where we've uh, not had you alongside, there's been some various kind of IndyCar news breaking with Santino Frucci being confirmed alongside Benjamin Pedersen at AJ Foyt Racing for next season. So that's left a few of our listeners wondering what you might be up to next year and and how you fit into all that. I know Larry Foyt's discussed maybe not being able to field an extra car at the 500 next year for for anyone, not just you specifically. It's it's going to be a struggle for them. So uh, what can you tell us about your plans at the moment for for 2023 and and how those are shaping up? Yeah, a bit in flux at the moment. you know, I think with with Foyt not not making leader circle with either car, you know, Larry's talked about all this that uh, you know they're in a little bit of a tighter spot, wanting to make sure that they have everything aligned so that they can sort of start start a bit of a rebuilding process there. So um, it, that leaves it leaves an entry for Indy. I think you know potentially still in the cards for the team, but not uh, not terribly certain at the moment exactly in terms of how that works out. Um, you know, there's still, there's obviously still some vacant, vacant rides that are yet to be sorted. I think a number of, I guess I would say very qualified drivers from different, different points of view, depending on how you look at that, that are, I mean, there's obviously plenty of talk about the, the Kyles from NASCAR, uh, myself, Ryan Hunter Ray, you know, TK's deal, I don't think has been announced yet. Um, you know, but basically, you know, there's a few of us that are that are sort of still in line for uh, seats that maybe don't, you know, there's there's not enough of them for us all to to fit into place. So we'll just kind of see how things see how things shake out. I think like anybody who's in my position at this point, you've talked to all the teams and kind of have a lay of the land, and uh, you know, we've gone through this flurry of things getting sorted out for the full-time rides and then that sort of impacting a couple of the 
part-time deals or indie only deals, um, leaving the teams that still have vacant spots that don't require funding. I think, frankly, I think they're not in a huge rush right at this moment to make decisions. So I'm not really sure what the timeline is of figuring out how this all looks for next year, but um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's part of the game that we all play. (laughs) Part of the IndyCar silly season roulette that we'll keep a close eye on. And at the end of the show, we will round up some of the news stories that we've missed in the period since the last podcast, which is definitely going to listen to because it's a really nice interview with Christian Lungard. So JR, you mentioned Marty at the top of the show there, one of our very cool fans of the podcast, Marty Triano. And uh, I always say to people uh, at some point in the podcast, you can always email us and get in contact with us on social media. If you've got ideas about the podcast, what we should be doing, interviews we should be having or ideas for segments and stuff like that. And Marty came up with the idea of having an IndyCar Dream Team episode where JR and I pick our favorite people for various roles in an IndyCar team. So we're going to break down uh, initially which team, if we were going to take over a team in IndyCar, we would choose. We're going to choose engineers for two cars. We're going to choose one team boss. We're going to choose strategists for two cars. And then we're going to choose two drivers who would lead our lineups. So without further ado, and before JR and I get into this, we're going to cross over to Marty, who has gone through his own list to give us a a podcast listener's view of the perfect IndyCar team. Thanks, Jack and JR. For my IndyCar fantasy team, I would pick the Penske team for many reasons, but my two main reasons for picking Penske would be I would want to have access to their damper program and their data. I think because IndyCars race on such a variety of racetracks, having these two things would be so important for starting an IndyCar team. My engineers that I would pick would be Michael Cannon from Ganassi and Gavin Ward from Aero McLaren. My team boss would be Rob Edwards. My race strategists would be Mike Hall from Ganassi and Tim Sindrick from Penske, just based on their proven success over the years. And for my first driver, I would select Will Power. Now, I would select Will Power for many reasons, um, his wins, his championships, for sure. But I also really enjoyed watching him this season um, in 2022 uh, because we saw a different side of Will Power. We saw more of a patient Um, driver that sort of took the car that he had and brought it home in the best possible position. And I think if I was starting a team and I had a driver like that, it would allow us to contend week to week and score points and have a chance at winning a championship. My second driver that I would pick would be Pato Award. And I would pick Pato for similar reasons as to picking Will Power, because I think I really saw a maturity in Pato this season. Um, in the way that he drove, sort of taking the car that he had and bringing it home. Um, He reminded me very much of one of my favorite all-time IndyCar drivers, Rick Mears, because I think Rick Mears was just able to take a car and find a way to bring it home and save the car. And he didn't win every race, but he finished most races. And a lot of the races, he was able to score some really good points, get a podium or even win when his car wasn't the best car in the field. So those would be my choices for my IndyCar fantasy team. Thank you to everyone for listening and thank you to you for letting me share my picks with you. All right, thanks that, Marty. And thanks for the awesome idea of bringing this to our attention. And 
you know what JR's like. Any opportunity to talk about dream teams or his favorite cars or anything like that, JR's always up for, aren't you, JR? So we had no problem getting our teeth stuck into this one. So we're going to start with the team that we would take over. And boringly, I promise this is not going to happen all the way through the podcast, JR and I have chosen the same team. JR, tell us who you've chosen and why. Yeah, I think I thought about this really just in the context of like, if you could take over the existing infrastructure of a current team, what would that be? Not thinking too hard about who the personnel is. Like if, if I, I thought about it for on my end in terms of like, you know, just existing resources, kind of current operating standards, um, you know, what they're capable of doing. If you think about wanting to expand or, or whatever in, in terms of, you know, what do the teams have to work with right now to go win in IndyCar? Um, and so I think particularly just based on the performance across the board and at Indy with a little bit of additional care given to, to the 500, that Ganassi to me seems like the obvious choice. Penske certainly has, you know, a lot of the same, a lot of the same resources. You could make the case that in certain areas they've been able to do a better job, but it feels like Ganassi is, particularly well-rounded at their shop in Indy, um, you know, they currently have, if you were to, if you were to extend that to kind of crew and people who are there in, in, in any particular direction, uh, you got a lot of strengths. So that was, that was kind of my, my general point of view that they seem, um, pretty well stocked to be fighting at the front in IndyCar for the next, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever the kind of trajectory of, of what you need to go fast in the IndyCar series is. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of that. I think uh, the decision really is between Penske and Ganassi, isn't it, for this question? Although I can understand um, if you're not going at this with the idea of maybe needing to win a championship in 2023 and you're thinking a bit more long-term about this, maybe you'd go with Aaron McLaren SP just for the level of funding that they've got at their disposal. And not just that, I think the the way that they've kind of taken each off-season um, not bitten off more they can chew, than they can chew. They've not gone uh, crazy in any of the off-seasons that they've had. They just seem to add uh, a couple of key personnel each season and really just uh, do little things each year. Like now they're adding the the third full-time card to give them a little bit more data. Um, it seems like they've got a really um, you know clever way of going about expanding their team, not doing it too quickly and turning themselves into a contender. But really, if you're talking about being in a winning team, it's got to be Ganassi or Penske and JR is on the same page as you with the Indy 500. I think that's the uh, the defining difference between the two is their recent form at the Indy 500. And if you're going to take over one of the two, I think it has to be Ganassi. So I'm glad we agreed on something. We're going to have a little bit more disagreement later on in the podcast, which I'm looking forward to. Um, we'll start with engineers. And uh, I've gone with Gavin Ward and Dave Faustino for my engineers. Uh, the reason I picked Dave is because he has a kind of father figure type role at Penske, kind of overseeing their engineering direction so he's going to come into my team and he's going to whip all of my engineers into shape and make sure they're all working together in a particularly uh, conducive manner he's done that role for a little while now and has you know been in IndyCar for, for a long time he's been with Will Power since I think 2007 so he definitely knows the series extremely well he's seen most of the problems that teams come up against um, he, he's a guy who I 
you know, can count on to correct some of those mistakes. And then alongside him, I've gone with Gavin Ward, obviously a little bit less experienced when it comes to, to IndyCar. So I'm hoping that Dave and Gavin are going to be a nice combination. Dave brings more of the IndyCar experience. Gavin brings all of his experience from, from Formula One in the different roles that he did there as a race engineer, as a, an aerodynamicist, as a electronics control engineer and, and things like that so a very uh, wide berth of knowledge for him and obviously he's already won an IndyCar championship so he brings a lot of credentials on that side. JR who have you gone for? Well I've gone uh, for a, a little bit of a similar general MO here instead of uh, instead of Faustino I've gone with Chris Simmons for sort of similar reasons that you stated that well, for one I guess a small difference is that I just love the idea of having engineers who at some point have been drivers. And so I think I think that that's I just I just think as as a driver I think you know when I I've, I know Chris, you know we've kind of been around each other and bumped into each other and you know we see each other before and after races sometimes and it just always he just has a a kind of air about him that is like that he just gets it. Like he gets what you're saying, he gets what you're talking about. He can imagine himself to to whatever it's been a long time since Chris was racing Indy Lights, you know, back in like the early '90s. But <laughs> you still carry that with you. I've I've been fortunate to work with a number of engineers throughout my career, like along the ladder, um, that have been race car drivers. And there's just something a little different about the way that you're able to communicate with them, the way that they're able to understand what's going on. Um, I've also chosen Chris because I think he is he is on a short list of engineers who I think will like when i think about qualifying at the indianapolis 500 at some point you're going to need an engineer that just has the balls to say yep we're just i don't care what the driver thinks i don't care what the conditions are like right now we're taking another degree degree of rear wing out and we're sending (laughs) and chris is just one of those guys like he that is part of why scott dixon has been the most trimmed out guy at the speedway for like 15 years is because Chris Simmons is his engineer. And, and he just has a little bit of that. I don't want to call it like blind faith because it's not blind faith, but just that, yep, we're just going to push the envelope a little further here, you know? And I think that that's a little bit of that. That is the driver that's in him. Um, But Beyond that, it's just his attitude. And I think that in the IndyCar series, particularly now, you need somebody on your team that just has that confidence, basically. And, and it's not to say that any of these other guys, there, there are definitely other, there are a lot of engineers that, that kind of have, have a bit of that to them. But um, Chris is certainly one of those guys. And so as a kind of combo platter of you know, these different components, uh, you know, Chris checks a lot of boxes for me. So I think that's, he's, he's kind of my, my choice for your leading man. He also comes with the same type of experience that you talked about with Dave. He's been the technical director here at Ekanasi. So he's, he's, he's been in that oversight role. Um, and then I've agreed with you with Gavin Ward as my second choice for a lot of the same reasons again, which is, yeah, generally just, bringing somebody who's a little bit younger, a little bit fresher. He's obviously had the experience. He was able to jump right in and understand it quickly, get along with the driver in, in New Garden and now in a different role at Aero McLaren SP. Um, 
you know, I've I've had the chance to talk to Gavin a couple of times actually recently about some some sort of different things, different projects. Um, and I just I've always I, I kind of he's one of those guys that I immediately appreciated his perspective, appreciated his point of view. I think all all three of the engineers that we're talking about here, and and again, we should say, you know, there's a lot of engineers that you could plug into kind of these types of roles and you'd find a lot of success. There's obviously a lot of successful IndyCar engineers, but, um, you know, Gavin is kind of one of those guys that you feel like he's got a pretty good handle on just how everything fits together. Like that he's got a, he's, he's got a, he's, he's able to zoom out and see how all the little, little bits and pieces, um, interact with each other, which I think is a, a particularly important part of, going fast, particularly in the IndyCar series, um, where you, you are working with a lot of the same stuff as everybody else. You're not, you know, you're, it's not Formula One where you're going off on these crazy development adventures as a team. Um, you know, you've got to really understand the relationship of all of the little pieces to figure out how those come together to give you half a tenth. And, uh, you know, Gavin is just one of those guys that He's got sort of a calmness about him. You don't ever bump into him and feel like he's super stressed or, or overwhelmed by something. Um, you know, that's definitely, I think that was something for me in, in both of these choices, with Chris and Gavin. You kind of imagine them being cool customers, um, you know, in, in, the heat of, in the heat of the moment. So, that's, that's my choice. Yeah, I definitely want to echo your sentiment of that we're not leaving anyone out by, um, you know, not rating them as as engineers. It's it's difficult that we just have to pick two for for each car. And I know for for quite a few weeks now we've been bouncing bouncing ideas around via WhatsApp, and we've we've come up with about a thousand names of people who could go into some of these roles. So uh, <laughs> we're definitely not short of uh, suggestions personally. But unfortunately, this is a, a relatively short podcast that we have to get through some of these guys. Well, and I'll I'll jump back in quickly here. I, this is this is slightly uh, as a as a precursor to our next our next move. But you know, we we've also generally speaking, I've taken a bit of liberty, I guess, in the next one. But you know, we've I've kept mine at least to folks that are basically involved in IndyCar currently. I mean, you start to think a little bit outside that, and you know, you're like, all right, well, how about uh, GP Max's <laughs> engineer? Toto Wolf is not taking our team over. Yeah, exactly. So you could you could expand this. We we've tried to keep it kind of tight to like, okay, what are some what are like realistic in IndyCar yeah. world here? Um, you know, what are these? But but yeah, no, it's uh it's definitely there's particularly when you think about well shoot, I mean in any of these in any of these, uh, but engineers in particular, there's there's a lot of a lot of really good guys out there, which is a part of why the series is so stacked. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we're going to move on. And as JR has already teased us as to who his new team boss might be, JR, um, it is it is pushing the realms of realism, this one. But uh, I guess with recent kind of speculation and even uh, some of his own comments, uh, he's definitely not ruling out a future in IndyCar. So why don't you tell us who your, your team boss is? So I've picked I've picked Justin Marks um, as my team boss here. And, and the reason for that is... It, it is a- I wonder if we can get sound effects. Can we get sound effects inserted in this part? Is someone cheering or going, ooh? <laughs> um, the, uh, so in, my choice here is, so I, I know Justin a little bit. Um, and I've just been really fascinated by his journey in NASCAR and what he's been able to do. Uh, he's obviously had quick success here it, this year in particular, taking over Chip Ganassi Racing's NASCAR program. Um, you know, he had a his deal last year was sort of a partnership with RCR, where they basically just ran cars as a not even as a satellite team. Like RCR ran the cars, and it was basically like Justin's branding and and funding. Now they've taken over Chip Ganassi Racing, um, and that's become Trackhouse. And I just think you know my my thought here with Justin was in part thinking. A little bit more on the long-term spectrum that he definitely brings a fresh view to partnerships, how you create value, you know, what is the intrinsic value of a team? I mean, the most race teams currently, their brand, I guess I would say, is just as a race team and that's it. You know, like you think about even even some of the teams that we've talked about, Chip Ganassi Racing, Andretti Autosport. You know these these kinds of teams. Um, you know the value that they're creating is just in what they do on the racetrack. So it's it's directly tied and correlated to that. Whereas Justin has sort of taken this different approach, which is the marketing, the partnerships, their the the content, the social media, all of this stuff. This is all part of what Trackhouse Racing is and does. You see them sort of expanding out to you know, Trackhouse Racing as a Trackhouse as a brand is sponsoring. Uh, you know, they're on. They're sponsoring like kids racing quarter midgets and you know World of Outlaws, and they're the. It's it's the primary branding that's on Justin's car when he goes and does you know the one off Trans Am race here or there or whatever. Um, and so it's just fundamentally sort of a a, a different view of what brand and value creation looks like. And I just think that that's, that's that sort of forward thinking perspective, in addition to the fact that they've shown, he's, he's shown as a leader of, of this team that they can come in and be competitive right away in NASCAR, which is no less, certainly no less of a feat than being able to come in the IndyCar series and be competitive. Um, that if if we're sort of operating off of this structure where you're able to just come in and take over somebody's existing sort of team, 
And particularly in this situation, because it's Ganassi and he just did that with Ganassi's NASCAR program. Um, I would, I would have absolute trust in Justin Marks to be able to come in and turn that over into a successful organization or keep that rolling as a successful organization. Um, and, and then on top of that, have this kind of additional value add of uh, being able to keep funding rolling, being able to have a different perspective on sponsorship, be able to do things in a little bit of a left-handed way compared to the, the norm in IndyCar. Um, as he's done in NASCAR, look at look at the landscape. Look at what people are doing with fresh eye, with fresh set of eyes. Um, and I think that that's uh, that's particularly, I guess, to me, looking at the landscape of what's going on and how do you build continued success. Um, you're going to have to be able to do things do things differently and and have a bit of a different point of view. And so Justin, um, I think, has proven particularly just in the last eighteen months that he's a guy that's prepared to do what it takes and and kind of has that has that perspective coming in yeah, interesting that jr you've gone for i don't want to use the word revolutionary but justin's definitely doing something a little bit different with how he's approached team management team ownership all of that kind of stuff in in nascar and as you said found kind of immediate success um winning races with with ross chastain in, in nascar this year and, and generally been um you know, really successful, which is, as you mentioned, is, is something difficult to do. And I guess I've gone down a similar kind of path in the sense of kind of maybe, I don't want to use the word unusual because I'm, I'm not calling this person unusual, but the the kind of the the approach to how you run a team, uh, maybe not quite uh, the norm that we've seen in the past. And that's Mike Shank. So I've gone with him. Um, I think before Justin Marks came along and kind of shook things up in, in NASCAR, Mike Shank was one of the people we were talking about for, for a similar kind of thing for for establishing this uh, kind of partnership with Andretti Autosport, um, you know, bringing his team in slowly, um, not biting off more than he can chew each year and um, really kind of guarding his people and his equipment and making sure he wasn't um, doing something, you know, that he, that was unreachable basically. So a, a kind of slow um, assimilation into IndyCar, not going full-time immediately, taking his time to do that, making sure had the people in place and the the right drivers and, and all that kind of stuff and I don't think it's been the perfect season for my shank racing this year obviously they're coming back off a, a 2021 where they won the Indy 500 with with Helio Casanovas which was you know pretty incredible in itself um, uh, an amazing achievement but 2022 they've gone to two cars and it's been a bit more of a challenge but I think they knew that was coming with um, you know kind of shaking things up a little bit and having to expand to, to, to two teams we know how difficult it is to find personnel in IndyCar at the moment, whether it be engineers, mechanics, um, all of those kind of experienced people are, are difficult to track down when you start expanding your team, especially when you're going up against uh, teams like Aaron McLaren SP and, and Hunkos, who are also expanding, just to name two. So, yeah, I've gone with Mike Shank. I really like his approach to, to team ownership. I feel like, um, yeah, as I explained, uh, I don't feel like he, he ever bites off more than he can chew and he makes really sensible um, decisions for for the good of the team. So I feel like he's a good person. If I'm establishing, uh, we didn't pick names, Jar. I'm I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go Benyon Motorsport. If 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 I'm having a, a team boss to install, Mike Shank is gonna be the the steady hand. You know, I don't want anyone too glamorous in that position or or someone who's um, you know going to be in the limelight. I'm happy for for Mike Shank to be plugging away in the background there, doing some of the hard work and. Um, you know, really leading my team forward. What do you think of him, JR, as a, as a choice? I, I know he was someone you were complimentary of when we were discussing this previously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I we we spoke with him on the pod last year. You know, I've gotten to know Mike a little bit. You know, had some kind of offline conversations with him about different things, and uh, I've, I've always 
always appreciated his approach. I mean, I think I, I mentioned this earlier, you know, we were talking about the engineers, you know, I think Mike just has that ability to kind of zoom out and see all the pieces and, you know, he doesn't ever seem super flustered by anything. He doesn't get, he doesn't get angry. He does, you know, it's, it's a process and he understands that he's been through different parts of it. He's been a driver. You know, there's, there's all of these things that kind of come together that I think ultimately in, in motorsports, you know, the funding is a huge part of not having that feeling where your back is against the wall, regardless of what role you are in. Uh, Mike's been fortunate to put together these deals where that's doesn't certainly doesn't seem like something that he has to worry too much about. But the same is true for for any team owner, team boss, you know, whatever. Um, Mike just seems like a, he's a level headed, common sense kind of guy. Like you said, when we talked to him last year after Indy, you know, he went into you know a reasonable length about his general process and point of view, which is. Yeah, not to not to get in too deep, you know, not to do more than what he thinks he can do well, and uh, I think that that's that's the type of attitude that serves teams well. I also think that in a team boss, I'm looking for somebody who is going to give my personnel, let's say, whether that be drivers or engineers or mechanics or whatever. A little room to grow and room to learn, and you know, this is something that I think when and I don't have any specific team or personnel grouping in mind, but it's it's easy in sports in uh, you know at this level, just period. Certainly in motorsports, I've seen it. I've been a part of teams that are like this. You know, it just kind of is what it is. That you get you start to feel the pressure of needing to execute and that as a as a team as a group and that if you don't combat that a little bit and make make a somewhat i think concerted effort to create some space so that you can figure out how to actually do that with level heads and take some time and you know, be able to sort of step back and recognize like, okay, we're not doing what we need to be doing right now on Sundays. So, how do we remedy this? Um, then it can just become a total, it can just become a battle. Both of the guys that we've uh, talked about here are are folks that just when you meet them as people, you can kind of get the, you get the sense that they understand the the relationship between learning and executing and that there's you you have to kind of have a time and a place for both and and that to to have your team ultimately function at its highest level you you almost have to like program those things you know you have to, everybody has to be on the same page um in terms of what you're doing how you're working and how you're working towards towards an ultimate goal so um you know th- these are these are both both folks in Justin and in Mike that I think understand that, understand, you know, from different points of view in life, um, you know, different experiences themselves in, in racing. They're both guys that have driven themselves. Um, you know, you understand a lot of the different facets of this thing and, and come with, I guess, it, in my mind, just a little bit of a, a, a slightly more progressive attitude about, um, you know how how to operate as teams, and and that's that's where I think in in my particular choice here in Justin Marks, I mean, you know, that's one of the things that 
that really comes to mind for me with him is, you know, I think just Justin's a guy that as he becomes more experienced in these leadership roles, um, you know, he, he could be your kind of like, you know, Steve Kerr at the Golden State Warriors, you know, like I think he understands that there's even, and, and maybe this is even too, too progressive for, for some people in the sport at the moment, but you know, that there's a role for mindfulness and joy and, and these types of things that are not, they, they don't release in our, in our uh, traditional world of sports. We don't really, you know, 30 years ago or something, you don't really think about these things as being a core component to success. Like they, they seem soft or something, but um, in reality, when people are enjoying what they're doing and you can focus that energy as opposed to being fearful of screwing up, um, it, it's just different. And, and I think we're seeing this progression in sports kind of across the board. You see it in soccer, you see it in, in basketball, you see it in football, you see it, you know, see it in all these different places. Um, you know, and, and in motorsports, it's maybe, maybe a little bit in, in smaller pockets, but these are the types of guys I think that have, have some understanding of that. So that's, that's where my interest lies for sure. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, JR, you couldn't let the podcast go without getting your beloved Golden State Warriors in, could you? <laughs> Going back to back this year, man. Although, <laughs> although I don't know, Draymond and Clay, or if anybody's watching the Warriors lately, it's uh, it's looking a little, little, it's a little messy at the moment. So yeah, we'll see. let's um, let's move on from the realms of <laughs> messy Golden State Warriors. Are you a little bit sad that I didn't choose you as my team boss, JR, or are you, are you, are you, are you gonna let me off with that one? I'm going to let you off just because, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you didn't want to embarrass yourself on the podcast. But <laughs> I, 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 I know deep down that that's what you wanted to say. So, we're on the same page. There. Don't worry about it, Jack. All right. If, if you say so. If you say so. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, our strategists and I'll go first with this one. I think the my vibe with this was very much... Um, just that really taking a vibe because I think with a strategist job in IndyCar, it's not as linear as some other championships out there. It could be down to something as small as what tire you start on. Um, you might get three, four, five pit stops a race. Um, there's so many different ways that strategy can affect a race that I think if you tried to crunch the numbers on this or tried to, uh, try to measure it in some way, you could get down some, some pretty, uh, extended rabbit holes. So I've gone with the Ganassi pairing of Mike O'Gara, Barry Wanza. I've gone with Mike because he's just won an Indy 500. So that's as good a reason as anyone to choose a strategist to go in your team, but also because I feel like there's been quite a few occasions over the past two seasons where Marcus Eriksson has, has benefited from poor qualifying where Mike's been able to get him into position and and helped him to, to shoot up the order in various scenarios. Um, I think Mike's got a, a big role to play with that as well as Marcus who's obviously done a great job with his overtaking and his, his race craft um, over the past couple of years, especially uh, while he's been at Ganassi. But I think Mike deserves a lot of credit for how that team positions itself in in races, especially when they've struggled with with qualifying. We've seen that 
you know, multiple times this year through various circumstances. And I've gone with Barry Wanza for, for a kind of similar reason, but it feels like, you know, Alex Pelot tends to qualify better than Marcus Ericsson. And it feels like for, for, for not a quantifiable reason, but Barry just seems to be able to, to get Alex into some, some really good positions when it comes to, to getting on, you know, turning like, seventh or eighth qualifying into a into a podium position and, and really giving Alex the tools to, to make that happen and obviously won the championship with Alex in 2021. So that's the reason I've gone for those two. But JR, you've chosen two different people. So why don't you outline uh, first the people and why you've chosen them as well? So I've gone with Taylor Kyle and Kyle Moyer um, on my side. And the reason that I chose those two guys is part partly as like a package deal, not just uh, each of them as individuals. Uh, they both came to mind among uh, a sort of short list of other strategists to me that that they, I mean, they both kind of popped onto my list just because as a driver, whenever you hear them on the radio, I just, I've just always connected with the way that they come across on the radio. Uh, most recently, obviously, uh, Taylor's been on Pato's radio um, and Kyle on, on, um, Scott McLaughlin's that they just that I feel like that they they sort of emit a I don't know a, a tone and just a, a sort of language that it's just it's exactly what what the drivers those drivers in particular like want to hear need to hear at that exact moment like that is a part of the job in my mind of the strategist is not just to create the strategy of the race, not just to pick the right thing to do, but to to understand as the session or the race or whatever is playing out the headspace of the driver and managing like there's a, there's a bit of management there. Like you're you're a team, so the strategist. It's not like the strategist is a is a coach necessarily, but that you have the, the strat. If if there is somebody who has that kind of in-game coach's role of how do I get my guys just to like be their best in the moment right now or kind of, you know, be best prepared to kind of execute at the highest level. It's your strategist. He's the, he or she is the person that's on your radio when things are happening right before you go out to qualify during the, during a practice session when, you know, things are hitting the fan during the race when you've had a bad pit stop and you need to like kind of, you know, get, get redialed in and, and ready for kind of the next moment to reassess where you're at and, and, uh, you know, get back in the game. The strategist is the person who's calling those shots and, and kind of dictating that tone and attitude and mood. And so these are both guys that, have uh, you know Taylor in particular with Pato I think I honestly think that their relationship over the radio has been a a, a not, like a not an insignificant part of Pato's success that just keeping Taylor's had a very keen perspective on where Pato's head is at where how, where that might go depending on a, some you know circumstance during the race being able to provide that just cool voice that keeps Pato kind of like in check and, and not because it's Pato, but just like any driver. Um, and, and, and Taylor always comes across sounding like 
super confident to me. Like, like to him, when it's five to go, he's just like as level-headed. He could, it, it could be, they could be in the heat of battle on the last lap, the Indy 500, and he would sound the same as he does, you know, 50 laps before that or whatever, you know, but he's just kind of like, he's got this calmness and this confidence about him that does come through um, in that communication. So, so I think I've taken a bit of a different lens here and, and looked at it less from the perspective of like, who's kind of necessarily picking good strategy, but also or, or putting a higher, higher bit of my, you know, price on these guys, just in terms of like what I've heard from them over the radio. Um, and then the two of them together, you know, Kyle and Taylor, just as a bit of, you know, youth plus experience, you know, you've got two guys here who have both had success, um, you know, but doing things in a different way over over much different durations of time with different roles prior to that. So that's um, you know, that's kind of that's my perspective on these guys. I think Mike and Barry, you know, you've chosen, uh, you know, you've chosen extremely well on that front as well. But I think that Taylor and Kyle, to me, just when I when I see them, when I hear them, when I bump into them at the track, you know, they've just kind of had that had that vibe of like, yeah, like I'd, I'd like to have that voice on my radio, you know, like that, that feels right. Yeah. Well, probably a more holistic approach to organizing your strategists, which, uh, yeah, I hadn't really thought as much, uh, in my kind of deliberations as, as to the kind of cheerleading aspect of the strategist job. But I agree, you know, when you look at what Taylor's been able to do with Pato, it's, it's clear the benefit that, that he, you know, provides there, and it is a, a key part of the strategist's job to calm the down, calm down the driver as much as to fire them up in in races. Um, the the former being the most uh, usual <laughs> approach for a strategist. So, yeah, a really interesting Jay. I'm glad you went with a kind of different approach there. Um, I still think um, I still think my guys would would do a, a good job of that, uh, geeing up the drivers on the radio. But I'm, I'm glad you thought about it in a in a kind of different lens, which is what this podcast is all about. So I'm glad for that. And now we're going to move on without any further ado to what I imagine is you, the listeners, most interesting part of this debate: the drivers that we've chosen for our team. So we're going to start with the one driver who we both had and explain why we both had him. I imagine it's similar reasons, and I'm sure you can probably guess who it is. Um, Joseph Newgarden is the driver that JR and I have, have both chosen. I think for me, this 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 is how I went about it anyway. It was a, it was a, a choice between, I wanted uh, someone consistent who I knew would win races, score points, um, be good with the team, um, all that kind of good stuff that you expect from a, an experienced IndyCar driver. So for me there, there's two choices. You go Scott Dixon or Joseph Newgarden. Uh, it's a difficult one. I think Joseph has qualified better in, in recent you know years. Um, that's not the only reason I've chosen him. Uh, obviously, he could have gone with Dixon for his uh, Indy 500 prowess and the fact that he should have won um, you know, more recently than, than 2008 and that uh, he should have a lot more 500 successes. Um, you know, perhaps people would argue that um, Ganassi versus Penske has a, an element of, um, you know, of a role in that for, for Newgarden. Um, but who knows? Anyway, I've chosen him as my kind of safe pair of hands. And then alongside, I was deliberating between Alex Pillow and Pato Award. And I've gone with Pato. Now, the reason I've gone with Pato is probably for a similar reason that JL has gone with his choice, but I'll let him explain his in a minute. I've gone with someone who I know if my car is not good, 
then if there's one driver on the grid who I expect might be able to get something out of that that car, then I think it's going to be Pato Award. We've seen him do it in the early days of the Aaron McLaren SP partnership where he was the only one against some some strong teammates who could extract the pace. We've all seen his onboard qualifying laps and some of the things he's been able to do in races with the car. Um, I think he's also a very, very good cheerleader along the lines of the, the strategist conversation we were having before, especially kind of away from the track. He works very hard with his team and spends a lot of time with them. Um, always got good things to say about his crew. Um, so yeah, I've gone for, basically, I've tried to balance my lineup with... Um, you know, a very safe, established pair of hands who I know is going to win races and score lots of points. And the the upside of a younger driver who I know is going to extract the maximum even when the car is not to his liking. So that's the reasoning behind my two drivers. Now, JR, you've obviously got Joseph Newgarden. Why don't you start with him and tell us why you've decided to uh, to go with him in your lineup? I guess I yeah, I think Joseph basically if if we if we consider that Scott may or may not continue doing this for the next 10 years you know that joseph will right so i think i think age just kind of for me was the was the factor between those two guys was yeah. you know joseph they're they're both like you said i think in the same bracket more or less of hmm. the the strength of performance that they bring to your squad um and and i would go a step further and just say that i think particularly like right now right the second i just think that Joseph is he's a he's a sl- uh, just by a hair um, a stronger overall benchmark basically that I, I think and and some of this is kind of like you know you don't know exactly what's been going on behind the scenes or whatever and Joseph definitely has or, or I guess I would put it this way that Scott has some keen strengths that Joseph does not have in quite the same way but. Joseph to me is just like, he's a guy that you know without question that you got to beat absolutely at absolutely every track every weekend. And there are places that he goes to year in and year out and just absolutely dominates everybody, you know? And so I think that that's, that to me is like, he's just in this age window and competitiveness window and performance window that's, that's sort of impossible to argue with basically in terms of if I'm starting a team tomorrow and I'm, and he's on the table, like I'm paying whatever I got to pay to get, to get that guy because he's an absolute benchmark at every place you go. Um, And then I've chosen, uh, this is, this is the only one that, I mean, I I suppose it's not like entirely true, but I definitely put a higher, a, a bit of a higher priority on, like, how do I think the drivers work together in this one? You know, I've thought, I thought about strategists a little bit that way, but how they get along, like as people, maybe doesn't matter to me as much in some of those other situations. Um, for drivers, I definitely think it does. Um, and, and so I've gone with the bus bros as my two guys. Um, <laughs> I picked Scott McLaughlin as my, as my second choice here. Um, I basically, you know, we, we've talked about this over the course of the past year in particular. Um, I think he's as good as anybody in the series, basically, in terms of just outright talent. Um, you know, the, the fact that he's done what he's done in the IndyCar series in the past two years, I, I just, as, as, as a driver myself, I just can't overstate how impressive that is to me. And so, even, even lumping him in with 
Pato, Alex Pelot, these guys are all championship caliber drivers. But like I said it before, like I think maybe Scott McLaughlin is the guy that should be getting an F1 test, not not anybody else. (laughs) You know, like there's there's just I I have and I could be Scott could cool. You know, like he could he could level out here at some point, I guess, but. Just his current trajectory, what he was able to accomplish this year, the fact that he was able to out-qualify and outrun Will Power, the eventual champion who brought like a, a mental game that is up to this point been like unforeseen in the IndyCar series in recent history. Um, you know, he's uh, Joseph Newgarden, the guy that we're talking about as like the best guy in the series right now that he's in that camp holding his own comfortable in his own skin like and going out and kicking ass is there's just there's a very there's extremely short list of drivers if there is a list of drivers that could come in and do that to me and so i think uh yeah in my mind it's just you know it's 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 coincidental basically that these guys are teammates i think even if even if scott wasn't on the same if he was doing the same thing but somewhere else uh, he might he'd probably still be my pick here to be honest with you but then factoring in that these guys joseph and scott do know each other they do have a relationship we understand we know already that they work together as well as they do i think you plunk them down into the perfect scenario and they're just gonna go smoke everybody i think basically so um you know we're, we're sort of designing a scenario here where we're we're taking some of the best parts of other teams and giving it to Joseph and Scott who are already both <laughs> championship winning drivers, you know, or championship contending guys, race winners over the course of the year. Um, you know, I think that's that's a hard combo to beat. Yeah, for sure. I can't I can't disagree with the strength of your your lineup and I think the, the the bit you described uh, you kind of did both parts of the the argument for me there for for Scott but uh, I guess if you take him out of Penske you know that's one of the reasons why we know he's been so good this year is just because he's been able to deliver that performance against Joseph and and Will um, you know and and even in some cases even more impressive than those two guys in what he's been able to do in such a you know a such a short period of time but also it felt like at least on the road courses and, and street courses at least that that Joseph and Will kind of, you know, came from further back, whereas Scott has proven now that he's got this ability. Whenever you get him out in front, he's so difficult to beat when he's out in the lead and, you know, he's just able to control races. It's not that Will and Joseph can't do that, but it's just another element that that makes Scott so, so strong. And, you know, I think just going back to award for me, his, you know, his record on ovals is absolutely spectacular. So, uh, so that's something to keep into consideration. And also, I think he was in the fast six on every single road course last season as well. So, um, both, you know, relatively young drivers who have a lot of upside and, and a long way to go alongside Newgarden, who, by the way, also has a long way to go and isn't exactly a, you know, a, a veteran choice for, for these lineups. So uh, I'm really happy with our lineups, JR, and I'd hate to try and pick between the two of them. But if you're listening at home to the podcast, you can pick between the two of them. You can email us podcasts at the hyphen race.com, either with a voice note or just your own list. You can let us know who you think should be um, on your list. You can have a team, you can have two engineers, you can have one team boss, you can have two strategists and you can have two drivers. So JR and I would love to hear who you would pick, especially if they're different and why. And if you want to 
take the mick out of us and criticise us, then we'll allow that too because we're great guys and that's just how we roll on this podcast. So before we go, JR, before we round things up, I wanted to do a quick bit of uh, recent news that we might have missed in between podcasts. And of course, we have to start with something that we haven't gotten your opinion on yet. And that is Pato Award driving the MP45B at Laguna Seca. Um, a, how excited on a scale of one to a million were you by this happening in your love of crossover world? I mean, I was excited. I guess I was excited to see it out there. I was super jealous more than excited. <laughs> like, this, this just this isn't like crossover world to me. This is just like I just want to drive the MP45. Like that's that's the only <laughs> that's the only part of this that like factored into my brain when this happened. Um, like so, how, how can I become one of the 500 people who has a McLaren contract just to do this? Um, <laughs> the uh, and then like Tanner Faust get, I was like, okay, somehow it's Tanner got the cheat code version of this whole thing. Like he's doing extreme E and, and then gets to drive a like McLaren F1 and all the rest of this stuff, man. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely cool. And you could see that Pato, Pato is definitely enjoying himself. It's funny that I, and I don't know, I don't really know Pato's like, I don't know his exact like junior formula career, but uh, this is sort of a random, a random comment, but it made me think about it while I was watching some of the onboard of Pato doing it is that like, I was talking to a couple of the, um, Indy lights guys and you know, the, just while I was in the gym, uh, over, I guess during the month of May and this idea of just driving like a H pattern came up. And I don't know, for me, I didn't even think twice about it, but yeah, because a bunch of cars when I was, when, you know, when I, when I started racing cars, it they were all H pattern, like tube frame stuff that makes me sound, but, it, but like you realize that it makes you like, it's, it's like talking about CDs or cassette tapes or something to kids now, but it's like, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like you never, you didn't just immediately jump in a paddle shift, like, you know, auto rev matching <laughs> carbon chassis, you know, whatever thing. Um, and so it's kind of interesting. He had Pato obviously knew exactly what he was doing, but do you, see, you will, you do occasionally see young drivers now like F1 guy. I mean, when Mick Schumacher went and drove his dad's, the Jordan 191, I guess, or maybe it was the Benetton. I don't remember which car it was, but one of them, I think they drove it at Silverstone and like Karun Chandok gets in it, who's more my generation or maybe, maybe even a bit older than me, you know, just goes out and like blasts the thing right away. Like it's old hat. And then Mick got in and it was, you could tell that he was, you know, he was being careful of the car, but part of it I think was just like, when was the last time that you drove an H pattern gearbox? You know, like that's not a normal, (laughs) not a normal thing. So um, I, I always think those are, I, I'm I'm always glad for young guy younger drivers of our current generation to have those experiences because you sort of realize that there's this whole other there's this whole other art form to maybe not necessarily like maybe it's not that much different in terms of ex, you know extracting your maximum qualifying pace but in these more analog cars where you do have to take your hand off the steering wheel to make a gear change and you have to rev match properly. There's like a lot more things that are just under your purview to, to not screw up. 
basically. Like there's and and so it's it's kind of like yes, there is an art form and and sort of a a skill in being especially good at at those little things. But there's also just there's just more as a driver, there's more inputs that are your job to take care of as a driver. And I, I'm this sound it's, it sounds backwards now, but I think it's it's like very much in line with what you see happening in the consumer like performance car space. That it's like, is is it really is the experience of driving the car better when you're not having to do that stuff? I would I would argue from my own experience, the answer to that is definitely no. Like the experience is not better. <laughs> like if you if you gave me if if I can have paddle shifters and the other guys that I'm racing against have to take their hand off the steering wheel and like you know don't have auto rev matching, then I'm definitely taking paddle shifters because it's faster. But if everybody has to work with the same thing, is it more interesting for everybody, for drivers, for fans, for everything going on if like the inputs for the driver is more complicated and not because there's just like more switches on the steering wheel but because the actual things that you're doing to drive the car are like a little harder to manage um so i just think it's it's great for these younger guys that maybe didn't ever have that not even in like a formula ford have that experience Mm -hmm. um um, to go do it so uh, i think that was after I got past the jealousy of just seeing one of my like peers go drive, you know, uh, arguably one of, you know, I'm sure I think like one of the top five greatest, maybe top five greatest race cars of all time, just in terms of overall driving experience. Um, you know, I am, I do feel glad that he got to go do it because, you know, Pat is definitely a guy that I'm sure enjoyed can, can, can kind of put the, Put the I got to take care of this thing aside and actually just go enjoy himself. <laughs> there's, uh, I think there's two things I'm taking away from that. The, the first one is that I'm glad whoever stuck around to listen to the end of this podcast has got a semi rant on H pattern gearboxes, which they definitely were not expecting when they turned this podcast on. <laughs> <laughs> and I've already forgotten what the second thing I was taking away from that was. Um, oh, the second thing was that I think it should be my, my campaign for a, a quote unquote super license is that it's mandatory that a driver does at least one season in a Formula Ford uh, just just because it's fun to watch and I think everyone should drive one. And God, and how awesome would that be? Yeah. So, this past weekend was the Formula Ford Festival. It was, yeah. And which a young American fellow, Max Ekstrom, I think is his last name. Esterson. Uh, Max Esterson. Esterson, okay, that's right. Uh, collected the W there for the Team USA Scholarship crew, which is a, a huge win. Um but the actual thing that made me think of that was Roberto Moreno. Yeah, was in the race. Yeah, man, he did it last year. And like, well. yeah, if you if you had like if that was a uh, super license, like how <laughs> awesome would that be? You'd have like a bunch of guys that were like, shit. So I got to go show up and run the Formula Ford festival, <laughs> or go run like you know a bunch of Formula Ford races. It, it'd be like uh, the VLN races at the Nurburgring. Like, yeah. You know, you, that you have to, you basically just have to go drive a shitbox at the Nürburgring for like <laughs> some certain amount of time or a number of laps or whatever it is to be able to, you know, get licensed up essentially to be able to do the 24 hours of Nürburgring. And they just don't care at all who you are, what you've done, like 
you still got to go do this. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I am totally for this. I am ready to jump <laughs> on board with this campaign. <laughs> uh, you've started swearing too much. I know that's the point where we have to end the podcast before something bad happens. So uh, we'll, we'll move on quickly. I wanted to highlight <laughs> and flag Alex Plo's FP1 run at Koto, which was a lot more impressive than the timesheets had it look. I feel like that was... Um, uh, as much as this is unfair on Alex, it felt like almost a trial for IndyCar drivers as a whole in an FP1, as opposed to just Alex, just because of how long it's been since you know an IndyCar driver's come over and just the, the weight of expectation and all the talk we've had over the past, what feels like a million years about Colson Herter potentially coming over. And it just felt like there was a lot of outside pressure on Alex to, to kind of show up for the IndyCar series. And he did a great job. He was just over two and a half tenths off Lando Norris on the same set of tires, which is, uh, for anyone inside F1, um, was, was very, very, very impressive. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how he gets on if he's allowed loose back in that car next season. And also speaking of Colton Herter, should mention that he signed a contract extension with Andretti Autosport, which takes him through 2027. So uh, hopefully he'll be racing in IndyCar that long. I'm sure at some point an F1 team is going to try and nab him and we'll get very bored of that story very quickly. And hopefully, though, he will get the chance eventually to go and race in F1. But if not, he'll be with Andretti until 2027. That's all for this week's episode of the Race IndyCar podcast uh, brought to you by The Athletic. You should go and check them out along with all the other race podcasts that you can find there, including the F1 podcast, the F1 tech show, MotoGP, Formula E as well. We've got podcasts for for all of the series that we cover on the race. And you can also check out the back catalogue of our podcast, which features many cool episodes from various different races across the course of the season and also some very cool interview episodes as well. I mentioned the Christian Lungard episode that we brought out last time earlier in the show. We've also got some more retro episodes you can go back and listen to. Alan Jr., Rick Mears, and Mark Blundell, all names that come to mind when I'm thinking about our back catalogue. So make sure you go and check that out wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the rest now has an app where you can check out check out all of our news and features just search the race media app wherever you get your apps from so that's all for this week's episode and we'll be back through the off season with more episodes of the race indycar podcast the athletic As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.